morning, everyone. Good to see you all here. Before hearing the sermon, let's come to God in prayer first. Father in heaven, as we come before you today to hear your word, we pray that your word will bear fruit in our hearts by your spirit. And help me, Father, to preach your word faithfully from my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever thought about this question? If the Christian God of the Bible we believe in is truly good and righteous, how can he allow evil to continue to exist in this world? After all, God is holy, right? So why can't he eradicate all evil now? For those of you who are struggling with this question, take heart and be comforted. Because in our passage today, we will find answer to this question. Last week, Dinesh took us through the parable of the sower. From Dinesh, we learned that we shouldn't be discouraged when we evangelize. Because the one who receives the gospel will bear fruit, 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold. And we are given the choice to be like the good soil, to be the one who receives the gospel and truly understands it. As for our passage today, it's related to our Advent season, which will help us to prepare for the second coming of our Lord. And today we are going to continue with the next three parables. The first thing to take note of is that our text begins with the parable of the weeds. Then our text will continue with another two parables, namely the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. And if you have already noticed, the arrangement of our passage today isn't so straightforward in the sense that we can work through it verse by verse in our sermon today. So how we will go about in our sermon is to look at the two parables of the mustard seed and the leaven first. Then, only we will look at the parable of the weeds because that one is much longer and has more applications for us. But before looking at the parables, let's take a look at what Jesus said after he told the three parables. Uh, sorry, Matthew says. Right? Matthew says in verse 34 that Jesus said nothing to the crowds without a parable. In verse 35, Matthew says this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Matthew is quoting from Psalm chapter 78, verse 2 over here. And the author of this psalm is Asaph. Now if you flip your Bible to Psalm 78 with me, you will see that this parable in the psalm is somewhat different from the parable of our passage today. Asaph calls this in verse 2 as dark sayings of old, which means mysteries or readers from the past. These mysteries are about the glorious deeds that the Lord has done. It's mysterious only because it's unknown to the newer generation. But it's not so mysterious anymore because Asaph is retelling the story of Exodus to the next generation about how God has redeemed Israel from Egypt and provided for their needs in the wilderness. In verse 7 to 8 of this psalm, we know Asaph retells this historical story in the form of a song, so that the coming generation will be faithful to Yahweh and not be like their fathers, rebelling against God. But in our passage today, like Asaph, Jesus is using parables in the form of illustrative stories to teach about the kingdom of God to the next generation who are his disciples in our passage. So when Matthew tells us that Jesus fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Asaph, what he meant is that like Asaph, Jesus is using 
parables as a storytelling method to convey a spiritual truth. Matthew shows us that there's a continuity between the Old Testament prophets and the teaching of Jesus, and Jesus stands in line of this tradition as God's chosen prophet. But of course, we need to keep in mind that he is more than a prophet, since he has always been the God, the Son, from all eternity. Thus, to fulfill his prophetic role, Matthew tells us that Jesus speaks in parables to the crowds at verse 34. And the explanation of this parable was only given to his disciples in verse 36. The reason for this was already covered in last week's sermon, especially in verse 11, which says, To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. By looking at the parables of the mustard seed and the, the leaven, the good thing about these two parables is that they are straightforward to grasp, and together they convey a single main point to us. In verse 31 to 32, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when he has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. There are two things here we need to take note of. Firstly, the mustard seed is described to be the smallest of all seeds in the sense of the common Palestinian Jewish household experiences. Secondly, there's a lot of exaggeration going on in this parable. Because in reality, a mustard plant can never become a tree. A mustard plant is a shrub. It's like a type of bush. At most, it can go, grow up to 10 feet, 3 meters in height. Even though it can reach to such heights, it is still not a tree. And it's not like Jesus made a mistake here. Jesus knows what he's doing. He intended to use this parable as a hyperbole to make this super, super exaggerating so that this parable will come across as shocking and mind-blowing to the Jewish crowds who were listening to Jesus at that time. Because none of them could expect that a mustard plant could become so big as a tree for birds of the air to make nests in its branches. It's just not possible for a normal mustard plant to be able to support the weight of the birds and all the nests. Then in verse 33, Jesus tells another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, till it was all leaven. Now I know leaven has always been used negatively in the Bible as a symbol for sin, but in this context, it is used differently, in a good way, to portray the growth of God's kingdom. Those of us here who have some familiarity with baking, you know that after you mix the leaven with the flour properly, then you cannot see the leaven anymore, right? So it looks like the leaven is insignificant at first. But then later, the flour will expand. Then you know, later, kaboom, the flour becomes so big. And it's even more extraordinary in this parable. Because the three measures of flour in this parable is equivalent to 25 kilogram. It's amazing how every part of the 25 kilo flour was being affected because of the permeating properties of the yeast. So these two parables, they assure us that no matter what happens in this life, in the present moment or in the future to come, God's kingdom will not just barely survive in this world like someone who just came out from ICU. No, it will not be like that because God's kingdom will continue to grow and its growth is unstoppable. 
It will far exceed all of our imagination and expectations, just like what we have seen in our parables. Like the parable of the mustard seed, the kingdom of heaven will start off with small, humble beginnings, starting with Jesus and his 12 disciples, but eventually it will continue to grow, continue to advance to become the largest kingdom of this world. And we can see some of this already happening, isn't it? As of today, Christianity has almost spread throughout the entire globe of the world. There are Jews, Gentiles, and all kinds of people groups accepting the gospel. This is like the parable of the leaven too, whereby the gospel is now advancing and permeating throughout the entire world, like how the yeast can affect 25 kilos of flour. But we need to keep in mind that what we experience now is not the final state of this kingdom. There is more to come. Because this kingdom is still in the now and not yet. And one day when Jesus returns, we'll get to see the perfection of this kingdom. When he comes back, his kingdom will be the largest in this world. Way, way bigger and greater than any human kingdoms, nations and dynasties that will ever exist. Now as we proceed to the next parable, there are two words here we need to take note of. Namely, weeds and wheat. Both can be kind of confusing to us at first because they sound pretty much the same. And my broken Malaysian English accent probably might not be of much help either. But anyway, firstly we have the wheat, the good one, which we usually use to make bread, to make roti. Then secondly, we have weeds, the bad one. Not the kind you can find in Amsterdam. Those are bad as well, by the way, so please do stay away from them. <laughs> But the bad one here, some other Bible translations call it as tares. And I'm going to stick with this word as it's easier for us to differentiate this from the good wheat. The thing about tare here is that it is a poisonous plant. If you eat it, it can cause feelings of drunkenness and in some cases, fatality. It's difficult to tell how different tare looks like from wheat because they look the same at first in their early growth. Only when they grow in maturity at a later stage, then we can identify uh, which one is which. So in the Greco-Roman agricultural world, sowing tares into other people's field is an act of sabotage. Take for example, say if you're a farmer, and if for some reason your neighbor doesn't like you, maybe you have been quite mean and rude to your neighbor lately, yeah. uh, then you better watch out, okay? Because there's a good chance your neighbor might sow some tares in your field. And that means, oops, uh-oh, this is a problem for you. Lah. And if you harvest the good wheat and the tares together, without separating them, you just process them into flour, you'll be risking the lives of those who consume your flour. Hence, this sabotaging act has caused lots of trouble to the point of Rome condemning this act as a crime. Looking at this parable in verse 24 to 25, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man sowing good seed in his field. But when the night comes, the enemy came to sow tares among the wheat. Nobody noticed that there were tares until both plants start to grow up and start to boil grain. But what's the big deal, right? Can't we just you know, pluck them up like what the servants proposed in verse 28? Well, no, we can't do that. As the masters explained in verse 29. No, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. What that means is that at this juncture, the roots of both plants have been intertwined with each other so much so that 
you cannot separate them so easily anymore. So if you pull out the bad pairs, the good wheat will be get caught up with them too. And that's not what we want, isn't it? Because if you do that, then we won't have any weeds left for harvest. So what's the solution to this problem? The solution is given in verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my bun. The time to separate the tares from the good wheat will not take place now, but later at the time of harvest, because only at that time you can harvest both of them without destroying the good wheat. Then we can separate both of them, one to be burned and the other to put into the bun. Now what we have heard so far is just to help us to understand the illustration of the parable itself. But to understand the spiritual meaning behind this illustration, we need to look at the explanation Jesus given to his disciples in verse 36 to 43. Firstly, Jesus tells in verse 37 that the one who sows good seed is the son of man. That means it's Jesus himself. He's the one who sows the good seed. Then Jesus explains to us in verse 38 that the field in the parable resembles the world. In the same verse, he tells us, uh, he tells us that the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, while the terrorists are the sons of the evil one. And then we have the devil as an enemy, and the devil is the evil one who is scattering and distributing his sons throughout the entire world. As for the reapers, who are they? They are the angels, as mentioned in verse 39. Continuing with the day of harvest, which is representing the end of age in verse 40. And that is the judgment day. On that day, as seen in verse 41 to 42, Jesus will send his angels to separate the sons of the evil one from the sons of the kingdom. So far, pretty straightforward for us to follow, right? And continue with the same verse, verse 41. The sons of the evil ones are labelled as causes of sins and lawbreakers. And in verse 42, the sons of the evil ones will be thrown into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As for the sons of the kingdom, they are called as a righteous one in verse 43. They will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. For the Jewish disciples of Jesus who have read the book of Daniel before, they will be familiar with this allusion. Verse 43 is alluding to the resurrection in Daniel chapter 12. Reading Daniel and our passage today helps to inform us that the sons of the kingdom, the righteous ones, will shine in glory just like the sun on the day of resurrection. Finally, Jesus ends his explanation by saying, He who has ears, let him hear. That means pay close attention to what I have said. Listen to me carefully. So now if you find yourself questioning from time to time, How long, O Lord, will you allow evil to continue to exist? And our Lord kindly answers through this parable, by telling us that good and evil will continue to coexist with each other until the end of age. There will be a delay in judgment until that final day arrives. So, how should we feel about this? Should we feel sorrowful? Should we feel a sense of disappointment? Because how can a good and holy God not remove evil from this world right now? Life in itself is already so difficult so full of suffering. But I think by now we all kind of know the answer, right? If God removes all evil in this world right now, 
what will happen to all humanity is like the good weed being rooted up together with the bad tares. In other words, it means that the son of the kingdom will be rooted up together with the sons of the wicked one prematurely. What do I mean by prematurely? To put this more clearly, you know that many people have not come to believe in the gospel yet, right? That's why we continue to evangelize by making disciples of all nations. Think about it. If God eradicates all the evil in this world right now, by making today into judgment day, then many people will be lost eternally. This includes people who supposedly were going to believe in the gospel if you give them a little bit more time. As the Bible says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Think about your loved ones, your family and friends who have not come to know Christ. They may be just one step away from accepting the gospel. Using my family as an example, after 15 years, I'm still the only Christian. They have not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In this case, I hope that the Lord will give them a little bit more time to repent by coming back a little bit later. And I would deeply appreciate any prayers from you for my family. But hey, Darren, is it wrong for me to yearn for Jesus to come back? Am I sinning if I'm hoping for Jesus to come back as soon as possible? And my answer to that is, no, that's not a sin. It's totally fine and okay to have mixed feelings. It's okay to look for Christ to come back because when he comes back, all suffering will end and there'll be justice for all the evil that has been done in this world. And those who believe in Christ will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. At the same time, it's okay to wish that the Lord comes back a little bit later so that more people will be saved from the power of devil by coming to know the gospel. We don't have to choose one emotion over the other. We can hold both conflicting emotions together in our hearts. And let's do it with patience by holding fast to the gospel as we wait for the day of judgment to come. But for those here who isn't a believer yet, I'm sure by now you all have a better glimpse of who Jesus is, right? He's not just an ordinary prophet of God. He's more than that, since he has authority over angels, as seen in verse 41. By looking at the same verse, his kingdom is clearly not like any kingdom of this world. His kingdom is the kingdom of heaven, surpassing all the kingdoms of this world. Furthermore, we can tell from verse 43 that the kingdom of Jesus is exactly the same kingdom of the Father. Why? Because Jesus is God himself. He is the Son of God, begotten by God the Father. So may I ask, who is Jesus to you? Is he merely an ordinary man? Or have you come to acknowledge him as God incarnate, the one who took on a human form? Why we need Jesus is because all of us are lawbreakers. When we sin, we break God's holy law. And so in God's eyes, we are criminals who deserve to be judged and punished by God. So in reality, without Jesus, we are all actually the bad tares. But God the Father in His mercy sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to take on all the punishment, all the curses and all the wrath of God on our behalf on the cross. But death could not contain Jesus because he rose from the grave 
three days later. So whoever believes in Jesus will be counted as righteous in him. And God can now forgive all of their sins and all their wrongdoings. On the cross, Jesus is the substitute that God has provided to take away the punishment of all our sins. So that on the day of resurrection, those who are righteous in Christ will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. But if we reject Jesus, I don't like to say this, but there will be serious consequences. And we have already seen it in verse 41 to 42, that those who sin and break God's law, they will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Hell is a real place. And it's a place full of suffering where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place where God's justice will be carried out. And in this parable, we learn that there are good wheat and bad tares. But each of the parables illustrate a certain truth about God's kingdom. The good thing is that they cannot illustrate everything. What that means is that all of us here have a real choice, the choice of changing our position before God as bad tares into good wheat. And we can do that by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So which side do you want to be on? Do you want to remain as a bad test, siding with the devil? Or do you want to be the good wheat, siding with Jesus? May I invite you to come to Jesus today, before it's too late. Now the next point to take note of is that, remember in our parable, you learn about the devil, right? In our modern scientific day and age, it's just so easy for us to forget about the fact that the devil truly exists. The Bible says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So watch out. The devil is here to sabotage the kingdom of God. Moreover, the devil isn't the only one out there because he sold many of his sons into the world too. Together, they are working to kill, steal, and destroy God's kingdom in many different ways. That's why God's church is always in a mess. And sometimes it seems like Whenever we move one step forward in ministry, we end up moving two steps backward instead. Hence, disappointments are bound to happen in ministry. This feeling of disappointment can happen due to various factors. Sometimes it seems that our efforts in discipling people, our evangelism efforts, they are wasted as if our efforts are going nowhere. Like the people we love and work so hard to mentor them in the Christian faith were enticed by the devil with the temptations of the world and then they fell away from the faith. Or it can be that the devil and his children are working so hard to destroy the lives of the people we love. Sometimes, when the devil is unable to take away the eternal life they have in Christ, he will then inflict them with many miseries of this world. It can be in the form of poverty, sickness, physical death, or sometimes he will destroy us by giving us exactly what we want, the worldly stuff, to satisfy our sinful desires, to destroy our faith. And the devil can use temptations of the world to cause Christians within the church to fight with each other, to the point where Christians are often being called as hypocrites. And this is like our first parable, right? Difficult to identify the good wheat from the bad test, especially at the beginning stage. And sometimes it can be quite difficult to identify the true believers from people outside the world by outward appearances. Because sometimes Christians can behave like people outside the world, and sometimes people outside the world can behave like Christians. And anyway, when we look at all these few examples of how the devil has been working so hard to attack the kingdom of heaven, it can be quite frustrating for us, isn't it? 
and we can just feel so tired, so discouraged, wanting to give up serving in church. Plus, I'm also to be blamed for all this because of my sins, especially for the times I said unhelpful things that discourage and hurt people. So at moments like this, it really does seem like the devil has an upper hand. But take heart, take comfort, my dear brothers and sisters, because while the devil has may have won some of the battles now, he has lost the war against our Lord Jesus Christ. Because no matter how many setbacks we face in our ministry now, our passage today promises us that God's kingdom will ultimately prevail. Because on the cross, God's kingdom is now victorious over all evil, over all sin and against the devil. This victory has already taken place on the cross and we will see the fullest manifestation of this victory on the day of judgment. So take heart. Our efforts are not wasted. As we serve the Lord by the power of His Spirit, God's kingdom will continue to grow and advance and His kingdom's growth is unstoppable. Plus, we need not worry about the person we evangelize to or we spend time discipling, whether are they the sons of the kingdom or sons of the devil. That's not our job to figure out. Our job is to be faithful in bringing the gospel to everyone without any discrimination. Our Lord knows who are His people and we can trust that on the day of judgment, His angels will be able to separate the sons of the kingdom from the sons of the evil one. As we reach to the end of our sermon today and you find yourself still struggling with the question of how can God allow evil to exist today? Can I encourage you to patiently endure the devil and his wicked sons to coexist with God's kingdom before Christ comes back again? Justice will eventually be served and God knows when's the best time to remove all evil. Can I also encourage you to rest assured in God's sovereignty that he will continue to grow his kingdom despite all the setbacks and frustration we experience. After all, God surely loves his kingdom so much more than our love for his kingdom. So we can be encouraged by the fact that God is awake, God is still working, and he will work through us as we go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded us. And behold, he is with us always, to the end of the age. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. As we learn from the parables today, help us to take comfort and joy knowing that ultimately your kingdom of heaven will prevail against the devil. And there's nothing the devil can do to stop your kingdom from growing to become the largest kingdom in this universe. So grant us patience to endure against the evil of this world and the strength to continue to press on in serving you as we await the return of your son. And we pray, Father, for the people here who are hurting, those who are feeling disheartened, discouraged. May you bring comfort to them by your spirit and help us to love and care for them as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.